This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to re-watching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. What's up in Texas, Chad? Uh, it's a little chillier. That's pretty much the only thing that's uh, <laughs> any different, I guess. <laughs> Speaking of, of, of chilly, we had um, our coldest day, maybe that I've been in New York today. Maybe not. Uh-huh. I think there may have been one colder day last year, but I woke up this morning and it was like five degrees with a negative 20 wind chill or something like that. It was awful. <laughs> yeah, when I say chilly, I mean Texas chilly. <laughs> <laughs> it's chilly. Yeah, I just had to one-up you a little bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> really, really bad. Really bad today. <laughs> so I, I have done my very best not to leave the house. I normally have Mondays off, which is a great cold day because I can not do a lot. Well, we don't really have any sort of introductions to deal with today, so we're just going to jump right into what we expect might be a little bit longer of a discussion than normal. So our first episode is Ultimatum. It is the follow-up to last week's Classy Christmas. Ultimatum aired on January 20th, 2011, directed by David Rogers and written by Carrie Kemper, who was Ellie Kemper's younger sister. We missed this episode, uh, eight-year anniversary, by one day. It's the 21st when we're recording this. Yeah, only one day. After the events of Classy Christmas, everyone, and especially Michael, is on edge to see if Holly's ultimatum to AJ paid off. Is she newly engaged or newly single? Michael prepares himself for both the best and for the worst. Meanwhile, Pam is encouraging everyone to write down their New Year's resolutions, which leads to further drama in the office. As you said, Michael is preparing for both outcomes to Holly's ultimatum. He's creating two results, two scenarios for himself. So if she is engaged, he's got a sad video that he has filmed for himself and a sad box full of sad things that we'll go into later. And conversely, he has a happy video and a happy box, which is one way to handle news. (laughs) Um, It's kind of fun, I guess. (laughs) You're prepared. And he has um, Aaron tasked to, to help him build these boxes and film these videos yeah he says nobody talks me down like myself in a video talking me down he says uh, (laughs) if he needs cheering up i'm gonna go crazy and i'm gonna start attacking people or if it's the best news and she's single and uh, he says i'll need to be calmed down he says i may just burn this whole place to the ground out of happiness (laughs) so he's trying to combat that impulse like you said aaron is helping out and when holly arrives and everybody sees oh She's not wearing an engagement ring. Him and Aaron celebrate uh, preemptively, as it turns out, because when he goes to talk to Holly later, she answers a call from AJ and they start talking about movie plans and they end the call with, I love you too. And so Michael's head is going a mile an hour, I'm sure. (laughs) So she's less single than he thought she was. He is at first not willing to really believe that they're still together. He pulls Pam aside and asks her, hey, did you, when you broke up with Roy, did you still tell him that you loved him? Or (laughs) like, is that typical breakup behavior? And um, no, it turns out that sure enough, Holly and AJ are still together. Holly realized that this is not the best way, as we said last episode, to handle the beginning of a marriage, of a relationship to do it by force and she said that's that's not fair that wasn't fair to aj we talked we'll be fine um so they're just continuing on with their lives as if she hadn't given him an ultimatum which for the sake of their relationship is probably a good thing but michael is devastated once he learns this and the sad box and the sad video i'm sure are being put to use quick question though you know, it, it, it wasn't fair for Holly to give AJ an ultimatum. We know that. We agree with her and with Pam when she said that. But if he really cared about her and if he wanted to be with her, wouldn't he have proposed? I mean, we, we pointed out they've been together for nearly three years and there shouldn't be pressure on him. It is unfair. But if there is pressure on him and he, the, the alternative is losing Holly, I would think he would have given in, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak for every couple, but I feel like three years in, you should know one way or the other if you want to marry this person. And if she was that sure to give an ultimatum that you either need to marry me or we need to break up, if you wanted to be with her in the long run or yeah, I have to agree. I mean, it wouldn't have been a healthy start, but 
I think that would have made sense for him to do. Yeah, I mean, like I said, either way, it's not fair. But if that pressure existed and he didn't want to lose her, he would have proposed. And so when Holly first walks in, she has her gloves on. It's like she knows that people will be making a big deal about the engagement, whether or not it did happen, uh, and especially Michael. And so she's trying to hide it until there's really no option anymore. Michael is now very frustrated at the situation, at Holly, and his reasoning is he's frustrated with people not doing the things they say they're going to do, specifically pointed at Holly. So it's New Year's resolution time. Pam has created this whole setup as office administrator. She's making a New Year's resolution board, and they're having this conference room meeting about New Year's resolutions, and and, and Michael is so frustrated, really, with Holly, but he projects that on everyone else in the office for not doing what they say they're going to do. So Kevin, his New Year's resolution is to eat veggies, to eat vegetables, and he has not yet this year, keeping in mind that it's the 20th. Um, but he hasn't eaten any, and Michael's, it's not that hard. It's not that hard, Kevin. Just eat a vegetable. You said you were going to do it, just do it. And he's really upset. And so he gets a head, a giant head of broccoli, and forces it into Kevin's mouth. Like, it's just aggressive and he's angry and he does the same thing with creed creed wants to do a cartwheel michael's like just do it it's not it's not that difficult you said you were going to so he's letting his anger seep into the rest of his life which he has done in the past obviously but this is this feels more a bit more normal and a bit also more like out of control Mm -hmm. if that makes sense he he's so this seems like such a human reaction to like let you know your your anger at a romantic situation feed into your regular life and he he would normally handle it really childishly i think and he does with the broccoli in particularly but it's i don't quite know how to say what i'm saying but i i empathize with him we do see how much michael cares for holly in how upset he is with his reactions and uh you mentioned it being the 20th that's when they aired but it's even worse it's only the third day of january as he says at the mm, very okay. beginning so, I mean, he, he's really trying to shove this down people's throat. He said, I, I uh, kept up with my resolution midnight January 1st. Surely you guys can keep up with what you said. And earlier in the episode, when he went to Pam and she said, maybe you should just go talk to Holly. He says, no, if I go talk to her, she's just going to resent me or she's just going to think of me as her friend. And so really the crux for Michael's really... Uh, negative reaction here is he wants it all or he wants nothing at least that's what he thinks at the beginning uh he he wants him and holly to be in a relationship together and eventually marry and have kids and have a family or he doesn't want to deal with aj and holly and so the progression throughout the episode after he makes a mess of the conference room meeting which i know is really hard to believe holly doesn't have to delve deep to know what his real meaning or his real intent is here. And she leaves and seeing how upset he's made Holly, he approaches her in the annex. She won't do silly voices with him, which is, I know that's a real test. Uh, if, if Holly's not doing silly voices with Michael, something's really wrong. And so he decides, okay, I have to apologize. It's a true blue, genuine 100% apology, which Michael doesn't do very often. He, he knows how much he screwed up and, I mean, you'd think after the last episode, he would have known how much he screwed up, but that just shows how raw these feelings are. So he calls Kevin and Creed into his office, as well as Holly, so that there's an HR representative present. And he disguises his apology to her within his apology to them, which I'm going to go ahead and read because it's pretty good. He says, I wanted to apologize. These resolutions should be about you, and I made it about me, and it was none of my beeswax. I really wanted you to follow through on your resolutions. The cartwheel, the veggies, I care about you very much and you loom so large in my heart that I crossed the line. And Kevin says, okay, Michael, no offense, but you need to get your own life. And Michael says, you're right. And I hope that we can still be friends. And that it's that last part that the reason I wanted to point out him not wanting to be Ollie's friend earlier is because this is him reversing that. It shows that he's grown. He, he's open to Uh, being holly's friend if the alternative is having her out of his life or having her be cold to him he says i never want to make holly cry again unless it's from laughing too hard or making love too beautifully and what i like about that i know i'm talking for a long time i'm sorry but what i like about that is that he recognizes holly's value in his life even as a friend 
but he hasn't given up hope for potentially more. Again, as I said during our last episode, during Classic Christmas, he is still childish sometimes with his emotions regarding Holly, but all in all, he is vastly more emotionally mature with this relationship than we've seen with any others. Because I think, as he puts it, she larges, she, she she looms so large in his heart. It's it's she's such a big deal for him. He's never felt anything like this with Carol or with Jan or with any of the other girlfriends. So I think he's able to kind of register in his head when he's being immature, when he's being inappropriate, and dial it back. Not soon <laughs> enough. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he's still as childish, but he's able to recognize that and apologize um, profoundly. But even though he sort of apologized, well, he has apologized to Holly uh, and she recognizes his apology. Uh, at the end of the episode, Holly calls up AJ and she says, we need to take a break, at least until I get back to Nashua. And we don't really have a catalyst for this. It sort of seems out of the blue a little bit. Obviously, these things have been piling up against her. But I was wondering, is it because of the drama that her relationship with AJ uh, is causing at Scranton? Is it because of AJ's lack of commitment? Is it because of second-guessing feelings for Michael? I don't know. What do you think? At this point, given the information we're given, I would have to say that, A, to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense looking in on this, given what we're given, other than maybe she's second-guessing her feelings for Michael. But that would also seem confusing because she's not humoring him. She's not joking around him as much um, when she's upset with him, which she is in this episode. So that would seem like an odd time to reconsider your feelings for Michael. But I don't know why else she would go on a break with AJ. She seems generally happy. I don't know. It's, it's I think, one of those things that we're not given all the information. Mm -hmm. There is a deleted scene that we'll get to that answers part of this question, I think. Uh, mm -hmm. But I do think that Holly understands Michael. And even though these past couple of episodes she's been back, he's been pretty cruel to her. I think that she understands that his actions are products of how he feels about her and how strongly he feels about her. Even if she doesn't necessarily reciprocate yet, maybe she's starting to because she understands Michael so well, is my thought. Mm -hmm. But uh, we'll see how things progress. There is a um, B-plot here. There's... That that's definitely the bulk of the episode. There's a couple of little B-plots. Really, one is that New Year's resolution board. Pam um, is taking inspiration from Sue, the office administrator at Vance Refrigeration. Pam has, yeah, created this board. No one really seems to be interested in partaking in these New Year's resolutions. I think this is really just a plot to further Michael's panic and, and, and uh, upset feelings at Holly. So that's sort of where this storyline came from but we get some good New Year's resolution bits that we'll go over in funny moments. And then the other plot really was the Daryl, Andy, and Dwight New Year's resolution thing with the bookstore. Do you want to go into that a bit? Sure. So Dwight is initially hesitant, or not hesitant, that's the wrong word. He just doesn't want to participate in this resolution thing because he says, I've achieved plenty and there's no better than the best. But then he looks at the resolution board, sees other people's resolutions and thinks, oh, those are just things that I want to accomplish, things that I want to do. And so his resolution is meet a loose woman. <laughs> and Andy agrees. He switches his, which was learning to cook for one, which is really sad in and of itself. <laughs> he, he changes it to the same thing as Dwight. And Daryl suggests, hey, if we go to the bookstore during lunch, there's a lot of cute girls at the bookstore. It's really easy to talk to them because you just ask, hey, what are you reading? You want to meet up later? You want to have dinner or whatever? And things go really, really quickly, as, or at least that's what he's trying to make them think. But then Daryl reveals, oh, my resolution is to read more. <laughs> and so uh, after convincing Andy and Dwight to give him a ride to the bookstore, he buys an e-reader, which he's initially hesitant on, but uh, he, he does buy one, which just as an aside, I love how multifaceted Daryl is becoming. Like episode by episode, I think we learn more and more about how cultured he is, like more than anybody else at Dunder Mifflin, which is really cool. He's sneaky. Like, yeah. He, he's not upfront about it like Oscar. <laughs> He's just, he hides his cultural side, yeah. Yeah, it's like Oscar is pretentious cultured and Daryl is nonchalant or no big deal cultured. Like, right. I, I, I like it because I like it and I don't have to shove it in people's faces. Right. But anyway, they go to the bookstore. Things don't really happen for them. So Andy convinces them to go to a skating rink 
uh, with these pie in the sky ideas of there being single moms at a skating party or sweet 16 10 year reunions. I don't think that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> or roller derby practice. Uh, but none of that's happening. It's just the three of them. And it does end up being therapeutic to Andy. He skates alone. He listens to some Dave Matthews band, uh, some hits, but that's okay with him. And he just enjoys spending time with himself. And that's it, it ends up being nice for him in the end. That really is the, that's the episode. Yep, pretty much. Yeah. The only other things I wanted to mention, Aaron is continuing her pseudo daughter relationship with Michael slash her dislike of Holly by saying, whatever the outcome, she'll be happy for Michael because if Holly chooses to be with him, he'll be happy. So she, she'll be happy for him uh, because he's happy. But if not, he'll be avoiding the biggest mistake of his life. So she'll still be happy because he won't be with Holly. Uh, but despite that, uh, she is the one helping Michael put together his happy sad boxes. So she's with him either way, which is nice. And lastly, Angela is still with the senator, uh, excuse me, state senator, Robert Lipton. As Oscar reminds us, he is a state senator. And she, her resolution is to make, make time for romance with the senator, state senator. Uh, so she's wanting it to get more serious. Yeah. Big step for Angela. So funny moments. The cold open. Dwight is holding a meeting in the office for Knights of the Night, a crew of volunteer crime patrollers. He prefaces that they are nothing like the Guardian Angels, which I wasn't aware really of the Guardian Angels. Um, so I looked them up and they're exactly like Knights of the Night. They are a team of patrollers who are in favor of safety and the well-being of citizens. But no, they're nothing. They're nothing like them. Um, <laughs> don't even compare them. But then Dwight says, yeah, I mean, but for all intents and purposes, think Guardian Angels. <laughs> Their most recent mission, he says, to capture the Scranton Strangler. Achieved. Not by them, but still. <laughs> uh, still achieved. Mostly what they've done so far is adhere reflective strips to their uniforms and play flashlight tag. So, yeah, fun club, at least. Jim shows up in the middle of their meeting and Dwight thinks that he's there to interfere with the meeting or to make fun of them. And so totally unprovoked by Jim, Dwight makes fun of his leader's quote, weird voice. He makes fun of their name. He's clearly embarrassed by the fact that they played flashlight tag, but Jim seems totally into it. Like, man, that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> he, he's sort of letting Dwight do the, the embarrassing for himself. Yeah. Michael's happy box. I thought I should mention what's in each. We see champagne and gummy worms. When he chooses the happy box, we see a few more things. He blows a like a horn. He watches a video of himself talking himself down. Aaron throws confetti. My favorite part um, is how he plays My Life Would Suck Without You by Kelly Clarkson in the video and in real life. So now we have two overlapping versions. <laughs> he dances with himself. He plays like the fish and he's the, you know, it's a lot of Michael just dancing around. The sad box is a sponge to soak up his tears gummy bears obviously this is something that aaron needs to know more about when she asks <laughs> it's it's gummy worms happy bears sad come on aaron mm -hmm. <laughs> the ukulele in the side box something to break and two bottles of scotch one might think a bottle for each box but no both are sad scotches <laughs> <laughs> and there was a box of chocolates too and he yes. says for you aaron job well done <laughs> <laughs> oh and the champagne for the happy box was not to drink that um, he sprayed all over Aaron. <laughs> right. And what's funny about that is he pops the cork and he's like disappointed for a split second. Like, wait, it didn't spray everywhere. And he's like, okay, I'll just shake it myself. <laughs> People in movies, if you open champagne correctly, you're not going to make a mess. Doesn't do that. It's only just so you, you know. <laughs> disturb the bottle too much. Him and Holly have a conversation using an ET voice, which is terribly obnoxious. And eventually it just sort of sounds like talking sheep. <laughs> and Kelly eventually speaks up and says, oh, my God, you have to stop. <laughs> <laughs> Phyllis offers to talk to Holly for Michael. And Michael says, oh, you, do you think that she would talk to you? Phyllis says, well, why wouldn't she? Michael says, that's true. She's nice. She would talk to anybody. <laughs> Oof. Ouch. Oh, it's not about that. It's about would she talk to anybody at all? And she would. So Phyllis, like, ah, it's just. And he, and he tells her to take Aaron with her to balance her out. To balance her out. Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> a couple things at the conference room meeting. Uh, Michael says, I made a resolution to floss and I did it. 1201, January 1st, bam, blood everywhere. <laughs> Which is, it's just such a vivid picture that I, I love that quote. 
And then when he's talking to Creed, he says, you're just going to somersault around for the rest of your life. And you know what's going to be on your tombstone? Loser. And Creed just matter-of-factly says, my tombstone's already made, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Pam asks for ways that people could or have already slipped on their New Year's resolutions. Kevin, as I said earlier, well, I said I'd eat more vegetables. I haven't yet, but that's okay. I still have time. Since last year, I ate none. (laughs) So if he eats any vegetables this year, he will have done better. Yeah. And then when Michael starts shoving the broccoli in his face, Kelly um, screams, you're killing him, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's... Kelly's funny this episode. She is. Uh, Early in the episode, when Holly first takes off her gloves and uh, she recognizes that everyone knew about the ultimatum, Kelly says, yes, I told everyone. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Holly raises her ring fingers on both hands like she's giving them the bird. (laughs) But Kevin doesn't seem to realize that she's not actually flipping them off. And he retaliates and actually flips her the bird and (laughs) says, right back at you, (laughs) B-word. It's just like, wow, such a severe reaction to such a harmless thing. Aaron misunderstands what New Year's resolutions really are. Creed, as I said, wanted to do a cartwheel. Um, He can't do cartwheels. He's really bummed about it. That's his resolution. So Aaron does a cartwheel and is so proud of herself and says, yes, I did it. And Creed cusses her out because (laughs) that was his cartwheel. (laughs) It's not like casual cussing either. He like F words her twice. It's pretty great. Yelling at her. Dwight is desperate to fulfill his, quote, resolution of meeting a loose woman within the first three days of the new year. It's that important. He tries to take Andy and Daryl to a strip club. Uh, He says, I'm tired of being Mr. Perfect role model all the time. And Daryl says, you know, I have nothing against strip clubs, but I do have something against going at noon on a Monday. Uh, He says the day shift at a strip club, you can't unsee that. Uh, But Dwight does end up skating over there. Skating over, wearing his elbow and knee pads and his skates from the rink. So I tried to pause over the resolution board and try to get a complete list of everyone's resolutions. Difficult to see all of them. I I didn't get all of them, but here's what I could see. Pam's is to drink less caffeine. Mm -hmm. She talks about that a bit in the episode. Dwight, as you said, refuses to participate. Then it becomes meet a loose woman. Andy's, we talked about cooking for one, then meet a loose woman. Jim wants to bike more. Angela wants to make time for the Roman... Make time for romance with the senator. She wrote that on there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Dara wants to read more. Michael wants to floss. Kevin needs to eat more veggies. Holly wants to cross train. Aaron to learn a new word every day. Phyllis, yoga lessons with Bob. Kelly, get more attention by any means necessary. (laughs) Creed wants to do a really casual cartwheel. Meredith to stop smoking. And Ryan to live life like it's an art project. Ew. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a, a couple more oscars was finished the living room so he's got like a home improvement project or something and gabe yeah, was yeah. be less squeamish around people's dogs and babies <laughs> <laughs> i didn't see that one that's funny <laughs> um and you know stanley's be a better husband and boyfriend i i guess he figures that everyone at dunder mifflin already knows so why not just sort of lean into it like i'll be open yeah. with it i want to improve both of these relationships <laughs> just weird that you're still trying to like further your marriage when you're yeah. dedicated to furthering your girlfriend. I love Aaron's quote about her resolution. She says, my goal was to learn a new word every single day. And I must say that it is going immensely. <laughs> <laughs> eh, we get what you're trying to say. That's the main, main point. At the bookstore, Daryl approaches the woman uh, behind the counter. He calls her the cutie behind the counter. Not necessarily the kind of woman you'd expect him to be attracted to, but to each his own. And she mentions the e-readers. This is something you might be interested in. He says, whoa, I work at a paper company. Those things terrify me. They could put us out of business, you know. I heard those machines hold like 10 books at once. And she responds, actually, it's 10,000. He goes, holy and he curses. What? Let me see that. And he's holding it and like lifting it. He goes, it's so light, like a croissant. <laughs> I love that comparison, like a croissant. Sure. If that's what immediately comes to mind. And he's so nervous about his employees' opinions on him buying an e-reader rather than something that's made of paper. He would rather them think that it is pornography. Not just any pornography, old lady nasty porn, he says. Okay, Daryl, if that is really preferable to your coworkers knowing you have an e-reader, then 
it's it's your call. So be it. <laughs> oh, we do get a little bit more interesting Phyllis stuff. Um, I feel like as the series goes on, we just get more and more unsavory, odd lines from Phyllis. Sue, who's the lady that she's the office administrator at Vance Refrigeration. Phyllis is not a fan of Sue. She says, you know, I know Sue. She's not that great. You know, her husband's in a wheelchair, right? As if that means anything that means anything at all. And then we also get a line from her questioning why Holly didn't break up with AJ. Just you didn't even break up with him for a week just to make him buy you anything. It's like, that's manipulation. This is relationship life or death. (laughs) You don't play around with it just for a gift. It's just she's she's become dark. My last moment, perhaps, is uh, more on Creed's resolution. At the end of the episode, Michael has apologized. The events of the episode have transpired. And so Michael is helping him uh, to fulfill his resolution. He's printed off instructions on how to successfully perform a cartwheel. He gives him some advice. Creed makes his attempt. It's a, it's a truly poor attempt, but it is an attempt nonetheless. And he is incredibly pleased with even his slightest effort. He says, I did it. And Michael's response is, you did? <laughs> he just says the perfect cartwheel. What a rush. That's all I had to do all year. <laughs> and I, I just love that Michael's properly encouraging him and cheering him on as opposed to earlier in the episode. But just seeing how pleased Creed looks with himself there at the end as he's like smiling, laughing, just pleased as punch, I think is really the perfect phrase to describe that. He's just so happy. <laughs> so deleted scenes. We get some extended Knights of the Night scenes where the guys are doing burpees in the parking lot, training. Um, Dwight drops something from his pocket, like his phone, while exercising. And somebody tries to hand them to Dwight mid-workout, but Dwight asks him to hold on to it for him. (laughs) So now this guy's got his belongings in his hand, and they're doing burpees. They're kind of like push-ups, and you need your hands. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) now he has Dwight's stuff, and he can't exercise. We get a slow-mo punching practice, which turns into a sparring match between Dwight and Mm -hmm. Nate, uh, which is pretty great. And then Dwight maces Nate, and he has to be reminded of what the back of his shirt says, which is, we are unarmed. (laughs) Dwight's not unarmed. (laughs) No, and Nate's just crying on the ground. (laughs) It's like, oh, poor poor guy. And then we get a look into their flashlight tag game. We find out where Jim was this episode. Nothing in the episode as aired is said whatsoever about why Jim is not there. Uh, He's on a sales call in Williamsport. And he asks Pam on the phone, hey, do you know any good fast food off exit 210B? She says, no, you just missed 210A, uh, which is just too bad because I know a lot of great places there. (laughs) But then Michael hangs up the phone. And that's uh, when he goes into his whole Holly doesn't seem to be engaged line that we get in the episode. So we just missed the conversation and that explains where Jim is. It should also be noted that it's the new year. So now Jim has incentive to sail again. I assume his cap is at the end of the year. So he can, mm-hmm. he can get back to work, which he's clearly doing. Michael has a talking head about the ultimatum. He says he doesn't understand how it's so hard to complete your ultimatum. He wakes up every morning and tells himself that he's got to be hilarious today or he's going to fire himself. He doesn't like it, he says. It's not easy, but he does it every day. (laughs) Yeah, sure, Michael. (laughs) Now, this is the deleted scene I was referring to earlier that answers one of the questions I asked. Holly, and it's hard to tell exactly when in the episode this is. I assume it's after she's left the conference room meeting, I guess. Yeah. Um, She's down in the entrance a cafe of the business uh, of the office building by herself. She's drinking some hot cocoa. Pam walks in. She says, Hey, Holly, um, are you okay? She asks a couple of times, both times the answer is, yeah, I'm okay. And Pam says, you know, I know you probably don't need my advice, but don't feel like you need to make any sort of decisions today. She also tells Holly about how she thought Jim was going to propose a lot of times, but she had to wait, but she was okay with waiting because she knew that he was the right guy for her. So maybe that's why Holly called things off with AJ at the end of the episode, because Pam helped her to realize that AJ just isn't the right guy for her. And it's it's funny, we mentioned in the last episode, Pam gave advice to Michael that echoed advice that Michael had given to Jim back in uh, Booze Cruise. And this deleted scene, the same thing happened with Pam's dad and Jim. Jim helped. Uh, 
Pam's dad see how obviously he's in love with Pam and he just didn't, uh, Pam's dad just didn't feel the same way about Pam's mom. And so we're seeing reciprocating advice being passed on, which is really cool. We should also note that um, they're standing down at the concession or snack shop and um, Hank is, is still working there and the prices are still ridiculous. So Dwight must still be um, kind of leeching money from the building. Uh, Pam asks about the espresso machine. He says it will work for $7 for an espresso. <laughs> it's a bit much. So um, Dwight must still be, you know, money hungry a bit. And Hank's being pretty incessant about it, too, or insistent about it. Uh, starts turning up music to drown out, drown out Holly and Pam's conversation to force Pam to give him money so that she can get her espresso. Yeah. Uh, the last deleted scene is a Michael talking head. He says, it is so obvious to me that Holly needs to dump AJ. Just the, the thought of kissing him. And he proceeds to go into this weird scenario where he is imagining AJ kissing him, like detailed kissing him down to inserting his tongue in his mouth. Like it is awful. I mean, it's of course Michael's disgusted by it. He's not attracted to men. <laughs> Yeah, you're not going to put yourself in Holly's shoes properly because you don't have the same attractions. But so of course just, you're grossed out by AJ because you don't yeah. want to kiss AJ. So that's fine. <laughs> right. Imagine that. <laughs> uh, so moving on to the seminar, do you want to give us those stats? The seminar aired on January 27th of 2011. Was directed by BJ Novak and was written by Steve Healy. Andy is hosting a seminar called "How to Grow Your Small Business" with guest speakers from Dunder Mifflin. But upon seeing the turnout for the seminar, the speakers drop out, leaving Andy to scramble for fillers. Meanwhile, Michael enjoys his time with a newly single Holly, and Aaron attempts to beat Gabe in a game of Scrabble. I'd like to say that, or I'd like to preface this by saying that so much of my character interaction stuff could have gone into funny moments, but it was mm -hmm. crucial to the plot. This episode's really funny, but it's all plot-based funniness, so yeah. my interaction bit is much uh, heavier than my funny moments bit, but it's all funny. And this episode also isn't as dense as the first one was. Uh, we'll see how long it takes us to get through it. So Andy is trying to boost his sales numbers. He is doing it because, and he, he says this himself in a talking head, because he's a bad salesman. He hasn't had a good year or like ever as a salesman. And this is really interesting, something I hadn't paid attention before. We see a whiteboard that reveals sales figures from the past few months. And just as an example of Andy's lack of ability, the November stats, Jim sold $32,000 worth, Dwight sold $29,000, Phyllis $24,000, Stanley $20,000, Madge, Glenn, and Hide from the warehouse all sold $9,000 each. And Andy came behind that with just over $7,000 in sales in November. So he is being outsold by the delivery people whose jobs aren't officially to sell paper. So yeah, he's putting a lot into this seminar because he says, if this goes poorly, I might lose my job. And this is the only job I've been good at, which is self-contradicting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah, that, that's, that's why he's doing this. He, he's trying to combat his poor sales. And he has the rest of the sales team backing him up at first. But Jim backs out because he recognizes one of the seminar attendees and he makes up an excuse. Uh, we find out more about that later. And also, unfortunately for Andy, Dwight, looking at the people who show up for the seminar, he says, you promised us whales. These are worms. And so all the rest of the salesmen abandon Andy as well. And so Andy is left without uh, Anybody who promised that they would help him out with this. And what's probably saddest about that is Andy says, hey, we're a sales team. We're supposed to support each other. But Dwight's response to that is, we're no more a team than people who stay in the same hotel. And Andy looks upset by that. So he approaches Kevin first to help replace Jim as the opener, and Kevin reluctantly accepts. Then Andy approaches Ryan about speaking. I mean, he went to business school after all, so not a bad choice, probably. Ryan says he doesn't like to commit to things. He just doesn't like committing not to doing things either. That's just as big a commitment. <laughs> so he says he'll do it. But if he flakes, he flakes. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, it doesn't sound like he's going to stick to that. Kelly is standing there just listening to him say this and is just nodding along like, yep, that's true. 
Mm-hmm. He does not commit. He flakes. <laughs> um, and then Creed is also enlisted as a special guest speaker. When Andy's hyping them up, he's clearly so uncomfortable and nervous. This is not the team he had hoped to get. This is Team B for sure. <laughs> team Misfits. Yeah. Uh, but you know what I appreciate about Andy in this moment is that even though he is clearly uneasy about his new presenters, he never belittles them or puts them down. When Kevin, uh, when he approaches Kevin and Kevin says, I'm no Jim. And he says, I think you're great. And he calls Creed the guest speaker extraordinaire. And he goes to Ryan because he has that business school background. I think Andy's own inadequacies and being aware of his inadequacies allow him to be sympathetic to those who display similar traits. But (laughs) good mood or uh, positive attitude or not, things go pretty poorly. Kevin exhausts himself and gets sick. has to leave creed talks somewhat lewdly about the loch ness monster (laughs) which is never a sentence i thought i'd ever say (laughs) and ryan does indeed flake uh but kelly comes through uh with a phone call to the yale university adjunct professor in management scott powell who she met through the print and all colors initiative uh through it doesn't seem it doesn't seem she met him through academia but and if she did, that was not their primary relationship. No. <laughs> <laughs> it appears that they have slept together. But he, he does offer some solid tips. Yeah. She calls him on speakerphone and this is Kelly Kapoor and you're on speakerphone. And she's just got this whole little business persona. <laughs> and he goes like, why am I on speakerphone? Yes. Professor Powell, can you tell us the 10 secrets to business? And he's like, well, there aren't really 10 secrets. And um, she kind of plays her flirty card please for me and so he um tries to rattle off 10 good ideas for business they may not be the 10 best secrets but she does get some kind of result and this is the first time that the audience of the seminar is taking notes so it worked i mean it's valuable information yeah now eventually during the lunch break dwight again looking around at the attendees realizes that not all of the attendees are complete bogus or worms as he called them earlier some are legit Uh, so they try to get back in and andy at first is all too willing to let them do that but daryl who's listening from the corner of the break room uh or, or the corner of the kitchen stops him and says they left you in the lurch if they want to jump in it means you're almost there you did this bring it home I just love the way he's looking at the newspaper. He's got it open in front of him. Um, we only see it at the top of his head. And he's looking at it throughout most of that. And then right before he says, bring it home, his eyes dart upward. <laughs> and uh, he looks at Andy. It's pretty, pretty great. And so Andy goes back to the salesman and says, let me tell you what you can do with your offer to help. You can table it and offer it up another time. Just know that I really appreciate the gesture. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a great uh, comedic timing there. So it's time for Andy to close the sale um, or the seminar. Michael, who is not Michael today, he is someone named Mykonos, once into the seminar. Um, He is acting as this Greek businessman. So he wants in to uh, the seminar and, and, and Andy's trying to close this thing down. So Michael is acting as a plant and he is the first one to buy in to Andy's series or or whatever it is he's promoting. Um, And then three other non-Dunder Mifflinites actually do buy in, which is kind of cool. Uh, I don't know if that was the stimulus from uh, Mykonos that kind of got the ball rolling or if these people were were actually interested. But Andy does feel a sense of accomplishment at the end of the day for three strangers accepting his ideas. Yeah, and I love that Michael, we can go ahead and talk about him now. Uh, Michael is there to support Andy. That's his whole purpose of today, really, as he shows up dressed as his Greek character. Um, his, uh, his name is Mykonos. He's got this really awful, fun-to-imitate accent that I'm not really good at, but uh, it's fun to do anyways. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> uh, and he's doing it to help Andy with the seminar, to hype him up, to help others uh, buy into it. And knowing that Holly has had one of the worst weeks in her life. And uh, as he reveals in a talking head, he knows a fair amount about bad weeks she's had in her life. Uh, He approaches her and he says, hey, I'm doing this Greek character. Do you want to do it with me? It might be fun. But when she says, no, I don't feel up to it, he doesn't push her about it. So it's it's nice that he's not trying to push her now that he knows that she is for sure single. 
She does eventually get interested in doing the character, though. Helps Michael to practice his character at first, flesh him out a little bit, and then eventually she does join in on the fun with a character of her own. And uh, at that point, the camera sort of confronts her about it in a talking head, and she just, her only response is a smile. And I don't know, like, I just got sucked in, I guess. A couple of thoughts on that. Um, First, Michael, when he approaches her to do this character, he wants to be a Greek couple, Mm -hmm. not just friends. He wants to do this as a couple to Greek people. And she says she's not up to that. And then Michael calls them broken up, which, I mean, semantics maybe, but are they on a break or are they broken up? Now, to some people, that's the same. To a lot of people, it's not. Are they broken up? Is their relationship over? Or are they on a break until she gets back to Nashua? This is not clear to us. It's not made clear to us. But Michael says broken up. I don't know if that's wishful thinking or what, but what do you think? Oh, that's a good point. Uh, I hadn't put that much thought into it, but you're right. That Holly did leave it totally open at the end of the last episode, at least until I get back to Nashua. She wants to have a break. Right. It doesn't sound like a breakup to me. Yeah, not quite. Um, I don't know. That, that, that's a good point. They do go to the seminar together. Michael helps Andy out. They have a joint talking head at the end of the day, uh, him and Holly, where Michael does finally take the character a little bit too far. He says, you are the love of my life. And he tries to get uh, a kiss out of it, uh, but she has to get back to work. Uh, But Michael says, you know, it was a pretty fun day. The last plot is Aaron and, and Gabe playing online Scrabble. So they have this ongoing bet that whoever wins the game gets to pick the movie that they watch next. So, so far, Aaron has won zero games. And Gabe keeps picking these horror movies, and Erin does not like horror movies, so she, she really, really wants to watch Wally. So she wants to win this game. She asks Pam for help, and of course, Oscar volunteers to help as well. Erin's been playing words like ka and moo and milk. Um, she attempts to play words like jilp, J-L-P. <laughs> but throughout the episode, Oscar and Pam are able to help her win. She's been successful at the end of the day. They're very, very close to winning. Oscar has planned her winning word, and Pam suggests that the win might be more successful or more, more meaningful, rather, if Erin put the winning word in herself. So Oscar, without using the words, he tells her what to play. He keeps using the word apoplexy. <laughs> I will have apoplexy if you, if you lose. Do you understand? I will have apoplexy. Erin's like, yep, got you. I know what you're saying. <laughs> and she puts in the word ape. Which loses her the game. And so Gabe knew how much she wanted to watch Wally. So he got a movie called Hardware that tells the story of a serial combat robot, just mm-hmm. like Wally, that the government invented to destroy humans. I guess that's his version of a compromise. No, no. He <laughs> is pretty inconsiderate to, to not pick something at least a little bit more in the middle or a little bit more universal or at least to alternate or something. But whatever. <laughs> I probably shouldn't admit this, but I didn't get until you just explained it that Oscar was giving Aaron the word that he wanted her to play. I I just thought I've always thought that he was just describing his state after, which is apoplectic. It is. Uh, So thank you for (laughs) explaining (laughs) that to me. I feel kind of foolish. But anyways, it's (laughs) Uh, yeah, it's 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 hinted. It's never said. Yeah. But you're right. You're right. I, I think you're totally right. Uh, but the, the last thing about Gabe and Aaron, at least, when at the end of the episode, they were talking about the compromise that he has made, quote, compromise. Uh, Andy comes up and says, hey, I heard you talking about movies. I watched a movie over the weekend and I thought you'd like it. So he gives her a copy of Shrek 2. She's overjoyed. There's a Shrek 2? Yeah. At that point, it had been out for seven years. I want to say 2004, maybe. Um, and she's excited and she's looking at the cover and Gabe just slowly lowers his horror film on top of it instead. Like, nope, nope, we're watching this one. (laughs) And it's so meaningful, of course, that it was Andy that Mm -hmm. lent her, bought her, whatever, this, this movie, uh, just because he thought that she would like it. So at least he's, they're able to still be friends and, uh, Gabe doesn't seem to like that too much, but that's where they are at. Now, the last character thing that we can use to transition into the funny moments is from Jim, because the reason we find that he left and quit Andy's seminar is because he recognized one of the attendees 
and it was a childhood friend of Jim's. His name was Tom Watashkin. When they were in the third grade, they got placed in different reading groups, and Jim was in the higher of the two, blue group versus Tom's green group. And Jim's mom said, hey, I want you to hang out with people in your reading group. They'd be a good influence on you. And he told Tom this, but the way he told Tom was, my mom thinks you're too dumb to hang out with. (laughs) So that's why Jim has been avoiding Tom this whole episode, because he's worried that Tom still remembers this and would have a a negative reaction. (laughs) And so they bump into each other in the kitchen and Tom does recognize him and they exchange pleasantries at first. It seems perfectly amicable. But then Tom's like, oh, so you work here, huh? Chip says, yeah, in sales. Tom says, must be a front for some kind of famous laboratory because you're so smart. (laughs) And he's just like dragging him through the mud the whole rest of this conversation. He says, oh, uh, Jim says, oh, you remember that, huh? Oh, barely. I'm so dumb. You know, stuff goes in, stuff goes out. Not like you probably remember every paper sale you ever made. Paper salesman Uh. genius. (laughs) And he closes with, where's your jetpack, Zuckerberg? (laughs) Like, let him, give him a break. It was third grade. <laughs> and when, when Jim is worried, that they, when they first bump into each other in the kitchen, Jim's like, oh, snap, he's in here. And he lowers his voice, <laughs> which is like, you last talked to each other in third, gra- third grade. Do you th- really think disguising your voice is going to make a difference in whether he recognizes you or not? He doesn't know what your voice sounds like. <laughs> no. <laughs> Funny moments. The cold open, we get, it's kind of a meta cold open. Mm-hmm. The Englishman that Michael is speaking with is, of course, Ricky Gervais, the creator of the UK and the original version of the show. So Michael bumps into this man on the elevator and realizes he's English and freaks out over it. Michael says he's working on an English character. So David is his name, isn't offended when Michael uh, starts making fun of his accent. David also has a character who's working on, a Chinese character with an obscene name. And uh, Michael is so excited to meet another like mind. David makes a that's what she said joke and Michael just gives him a hug. Um, And David asks if Dunner Mifflin's hiring. Michael wishes that they were, but darn. And that's all we get. We just get a little cold open with with Ricky Gervais, um, (laughs) who, of course, meshes so well with Michael. It just occurred to me that this raises some interesting concerns because it implies that both the UK office and the US office exist in the same universe. And that there's like these two parallel companies that are moving in tandem with each other. You so know? Of course, David is his name yeah. in the UK version. He's right. Michael David. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And so I don't like that. The, the, the pilot of the US is like literally supposed to be script word for word, beat for beat, a clone of the original episode of the UK yeah. series. And so like these people are having these entirely separate, but entirely exactly the parallel. same experiences. <laughs> Oh, snap. I think we just broke the office. Oh, no. (laughs) That's it. We've got to stop the show. (laughs) Uh, Oh, that's freaky. So, Michael walks into the office of Mykonos. He says he's here for the seminar. And Aaron is really confused because you're clearly Michael. He says, nine. German, but whatever. German. I'm Greek. My name is Mykonos. And Aaron is perhaps more confused and just questions again, Michael? Michael? Like, are you lost in there, Michael? Michael admits that Mykonos is loosely based on another character he does, Spiros. But Spiros is more about the ladies, Mm. he says. Yeah. (laughs) We have another Michael Scott Tom Hanks reference. He's done that. He's referenced Tom Hanks in various capacities several times. He speaks to Holly using his Greek voice, and she says, is that Greek? Because you sound Italian. He says that she's the fifth person to tell him that today. So she says, you know, maybe you ran away to join the Italian circus. He says, oh, like a character history. Tom Hanks does that. (laughs) Sure. Helpful. Mm -hmm. Erin, regarding the horror movies, has a talking head where she doesn't enjoy watching horror movies, but she does like the early parts of the movies where they all have perfect families. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's the Disney Pixar appealing to her. Holly decides to continue helping Michael with his character, give him more backstory. And she asks if he has any favorite movies. He says, I like the musical Grease, or as we call it, Home. I told you my accent was awful. I can't do the the, the raspy <laughs> thing he does. Uh, but 
she says, we've got to try this out on somebody. And so they go downstairs to the cafe and they, they speak with Hank. And I think we're going to act out the scene. I, I think we have to. We have to. Yeah. And it's going to go really badly, but it's okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm so bad at accents. Okay. So Michael, or uh, Mykonos, hello. Look, you want to order something? She will have a Greek chino. I don't know what that is. Uh, it. It's a very strong coffee with milk from a goat. It's not Russian. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I can't believe it. It's a miracle. She can talk. No more brain damage. No more damage. brain damage. <laughs> ah. <laughs> oh, and man. Okay. Thank you, everyone. We'll take our Tonys now. Okay. Oh. That was something. That was special. You're welcome, everyone. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> Kevin is getting hyped up after Andy has asked him to be a part of the seminar. So he has this talking head after he's finally convinced that he's good enough to do this. He says, there are some people who have charm and some people who don't. Guess which type I am. Charm type. (laughs) So confident himself. (laughs) And he's just finally, yeah, he's finally ready. (laughs) Regarding Kevin's opinion about himself as Jim, he says, I'm no Jim. The only way that I'm Jim is in the movie version when Jim sees what his future would be like if he never met Pam. <laughs> I just like, imagine Jim's life spiraling out of control. And <laughs> Kelly, we didn't talk much about her. Uh, well, we didn't talk enough about her um, appearance in the seminar. So she realizes the importance of branding yourself. So she says she has a couple of things in the works. Uh, pardon the cursing here, but it is important and funny. Um, she is the blank bitch. That's what her thing. So she's the business bitch or the diet bitch or the shopping bitch or the etiquette bitch. And that's as much as I'm going to say um, that word on the show. But it works. I mean, so she got the um, Professor Powell to read the 10 Secrets of Business. And it cuts to Andy and he goes, that brilliant little bitch. <laughs> Which is exactly right, on brand for her, so it's perfect. <laughs> um, and Kevin's entrance, I mentioned he exhausted himself, but he his entrance, he sets the stereo down and he starts playing Crazy Train by uh, Ozzy Osbourne, Black Sabbath. And he just sort of sits in the back of the room with his arms crossed for the entire opening intro with the laughter and everything. And it's really awkward because it's a long intro. And then he starts running around the room for an embarrassingly long time. Uh, He even grabs a sandwich on the go. And then when he's finished, he crumples to the ground. He's completely out of breath. He's sick from physical activity. He can barely say his speech. Dream big, right? So what I want you to do is dream the biggest that you can (laughs) and then double it. And he just goes on. It's, (laughs) It's so funny. And he's like, picture a winner. He says after he vomits into a trash can laying on the floor. <laughs> it's like try to picture a winner because clearly this no, isn't doing no. it. <laughs> this I hadn't actually noticed until this episode for some reason. Andy is kind of hyping up Creed and Kevin um, to go on, and he says, "Creed, guest speaker extraordinaire," and then I come in and close the sales and stuff. Okay, here we go. One, two, three. Uh, Kevin says, "Go." Creed says, "Creed." <laughs> <laughs> At least Creed's hyping himself up, too, I guess. Yeah. And speaking of Creed, his speech, two eyes, two ears, a chin, a mouth, ten fingers, two nipples, a butt, two kneecaps, a penis. I have just described to you the Loch Ness Monster and the reward for its capture, all the riches in Scotland. So I have one question. Why are you here? <laughs> That's You're supposed to keep the people here so they can buy the things. And also not talk about the Loch Ness Monster. You're probably not supposed to do that either. But all the riches in Scotland. Mm, That is tempting. Tempting. Gabe has an explanation for why Aaron might be doing so well today in Scrabble. (laughs) He says the only thing that he can think of is that Aaron is living out some slumdog millionaire scenario where every word she's playing has a connection to her orphaned past. It's possible, he says. (laughs) (laughs) Which there are crazier theories when it comes to Aaron, so he's not totally off base. Yeah. Going on to deleted scenes, of which there are several for this one, uh, Stanley reveals his sales technique to us. He says, I make my pitch, and then I just stare. 
You want me to stop? Then buy something. (laughs) Phyllis tells Andy that he cannot close sales. Andy said, I wouldn't say I can't close sales. Phyllis, I'd say I cannot close sales. But that's just my personal speaking style. (laughs) Okay. And Andy has a couple of talking heads about how and why he's not good at closing sales. Uh, So I'll cover both of them real quick. He says, I'm not good at closing a sale because it's about asking for money and not taking no for an answer. But I was raised to never speak of money and never to ask for anything. Our needs were anticipated growing up. And then his later explanation is he says, you know, everything about being a salesman goes against who I am. Don't be afraid to be rude. I'm sorry, that's rude. Have a killer instinct. You know who has a killer instinct? Killers. You're not there to make friends. Then how am I supposed to make friends? Don't take no for an answer. So no means yes. No, I don't think so. Chanting that got my fraternity's charter revoked at Cornell. Uh, that's a different thing. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. That's a different thing. <laughs> Holly has a fishbowl on her desk. The fish was hers, but lived at AJ's. The fish's name is Fluffy. Now, Holly never liked the name. AJ named her. Michael says it's a good thing um, about goldfish is, is their lack of memory. They forget everything in two seconds. She could rename the fish and it would never know. So they bounce ideas back and forth. Um, punny ones about gold. So there's Goldfinger, the movie. Goldschlager, the cur, And Goldemeyer, the uh, prime minister of Israel. Those have gold in them, so they must be good yeah. names. <laughs> sure. It's it's a nice moment that he's trying to sort of comfort her. Like, who cares if you rename the fish? The fish is a good another difference. Yeah. We understand why Pam was so keen to help Aaron beat Gabe at Scrabble. She and Jim used to play Boggle, and Jim would get really cocky about it when he won. It ruined Boggle for her, and it ruined words for her. And then we cut to Jim in the parking lot. He says, yep, I'm pretty good for Boggle. Is that guy still upstairs, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> He's still killing time. We get more Michael and Holly practicing Mykonos bits. The first bit is about gyro, gyro. I never know how to pronounce that word. Forget how they do. I don't think Michael does either. He says gyro yeah. in this deleted scene, but in the episode he says gyro. Gyro, 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 stands. Then Holly asks him what he likes to do in his spare time. He says he likes to practice Olympics, wash his toga, put olive oil in his car. His favorite movie is My Big Fat Wedding. <laughs> but he thinks it's called something else here in the U.S. That one got me so hard watching the deleted scenes. Yeah. <laughs> that is so great. He also has no concept of like when this man lives, mm-hmm. in what time period mm-hmm. he lives, because he practices Olympics and washes his toga. Mm-hmm. But I will agree that my big fat Greek wedding <laughs> is worth watching. <laughs> uh, this, this is the best I think we've seen Michael at improv. It's still not great, but it's like he's... Yeah. he's up a level or two because he's doing it to impress Holly or doing it with Holly. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's fun. And, and my big fat wedding. That's so funny. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> uh, Creed, we see an extended version of him at the seminar. He says, you know, I had an idea for a restaurant where kids play games and watch shows. Does that sound a lot like Chuck E. Cheese? He says it very distinctively. Chuck E. Cheese. He says, uh, the guy who invented Chuck E. Cheese was at the next table. And he has evidence, affidavits, and documents that show that he was locked out of the deal. And he says the craziest thing about it is that the restaurant this meeting took place at was Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> and one of the guys at the seminar says, was your idea also called Chuck E. Cheese? And he says, no, it was called Woodstock's Freakout Zone. Which just sounds like a crazy drug thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> drug music concert something. Yeah. <laughs> Holly and Michael want to be late to the seminar, but they need a good reason for being late. Holly suggested the Greek financial crisis, but Michael thinks it needs to be something real. (laughs) So Holly said that the peanut butter truck crashed into a jelly truck. They're helicoptering in bread. Michael likes that one much better. Then Dwight, Phyllis, and Stanley come into Michael's office, demanding that he take the seminar away from Andy. Michael asks Andy if he's sure he can close the sale and Andy says, well, I'm sure I can try. <laughs> well, that's not good enough, Michael says. And he asks again, and Andy says he's confident that no one will work harder to pull this off. <laughs> he just can't commit to, yes, I can do right. this. But he's going to try. And uh, Dwight tells Michael that Andy can't close. Phyllis says, yeah, just ask Aaron. Mm, ouch. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, Andy's response to that one is unnecessary roughness. 
Please take that back. (laughs) (laughs) So Michael decides to give Andy the shot, but if it looks as if he's going to fail, Michael will hand it over back to the other sales staff. They ask for what the signal will be to hand it over. Michael suggests that he'll look confused or he'll look irritated. (laughs) And those are terrible signals. Because more than likely, he will be looking confused either way. Yeah. Going to our discussion topic, something special this week, we actually got an episode-specific voicemail question from a listener. Uh, So I'm going to play this voicemail from Joel. Hi, Chad and Katie. This is Joel from Illinois. Uh, I just wanted to thank you guys for the great podcast that you put on. I really like the positive positive outlook that you have on the show. Um, One of my favorite character relationships is Daryl and Andy's uh, friendship. And the upcoming episode, the seminar, they when the sales members try to rejoin his sem- Andy seminar after Dwight discovers some of the attendees are for real, Daryl wants uh, Daryl gets Andy's attention to warn him that he can do it on his own. Do you think that Daryl offers this unsolicited assistance because of his friendship with Andy, or is it more due to his dislike of the other salespeople? Thanks, guys. Keep the great work. Okay, so what do you think, Katie? Do you think Daryl kept Andy from involving the other salesmen because he believes in Andy? Or do you think it's because he just dislikes the other salesmen? I'm inclined to think it's because of his friendship. I mean, I don't think he particularly dislikes the other salesmen. I don't think he necessarily wants to hang out with them, and, and he is a friend of Andy. But I think because he's friends with Andy, he believes in Andy. They also have a really interesting friendship, and that it's never. I don't know. It it never seemed to me as an official friendship, if that makes sense. Like, they're secret mm-hmm. friends, you know? Maybe that's just because their relationship isn't fleshed out in a big way. I do very much like mm-hmm. their friendship. But I, I think it's more that he's just supporting Andy and thinks he can do it. Yeah, I think that's it, too. I, I don't think he has any, any particular animosity towards the other salesmen. In fact, of all the salesmen, the one he really has the reason to have animosity towards is Andy because of the yeah. the thing he outlined back at the end of season six. So I, I do think it's just faith in Andy. He says the fact that they're trying to get back in now means that they know that you're close, the, that you're close to accomplishing this. And they're just trying to, to feed off of your good fortune, feed off of what you put together and what you've accomplished. So uh, yeah, I definitely think it's Daryl looking out for his buddy, which is good. Because I said, I think last episode even, that I really like the the friendship between Andy and Daryl as well. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for the question, Joel. We do have one more voicemail to play, uh, and then we'll have another one that will play after the end credits. This one is from Sydney. Hi, this is Sydney. Um, I listen in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I was wondering what y'all's thoughts are on um, Toby being the Scranton Strangler. So I had seen something on the internet about that. And I was just wondering what y'all's thoughts were. Thanks. Love the podcast. Okay. So regarding this question, <laughs> we've Katie gotten it several times already. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's time we address it. <laughs> yeah. We'll address it. We might have a more in depth discussion later. No guarantees. But I think Katie and I are both of the mind that Toby is not the Scranton Strangler. Um, yeah, it's a fun theory if you want to search for it um, and justify it within the episodes. But based on what I see, uh, I, I just I don't see it. it. It's again, it's it's fun. It's an interesting thing to consider. But nah. <laughs> My feeling is basically a gut feeling right now. I don't have a fleshed out argument as to why I don't think he's a strangler, but I might develop one if we choose to have that that discussion at some point but my gut just tells me he's not i know some people strongly disagree yeah yeah so if you want us to have a longer more fleshed out discussion on this send us references send us something that will present a good case like a logical case that tells us one way or the other this is why we think toby is a scranton strangler more than just the fact that he's toby and we hate him <laughs> and uh then we might we might consider it but yeah, we've had this discussion between ourselves before. Like, do you think this? Nah, sorry. Nah. I I hope that <laughs> doesn't disappoint you, but just not something I'm personally into. Thank you, Sydney, for your question. Yes. And that brings us to the end of our official 75th episode of An American Workplace. 
You can contact us at facebook.com slash workplacepod or at workplacepod on Twitter. You can head over to Apple Podcasts to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also email feedback and ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place to find me is at chadadada on Twitter, also facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And don't forget about my other podcast, uh, which you can find where podcasts can be found. Uh, it's called Cinescope. And you can find it at thecinescopepodcast.com. In all show notes and all contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. And don't forget, we do have a voicemail line. You can call it at 93-PRETZ-DAY, that is P-R-E-T-Z-D-A-Y, or 937-738-9329. And we do have one more voicemail from Carter that we're going to be playing after the credits. Big, huge thank you to Deborah, who's our newest Patreon subscriber. Thank you so much for your support, both as a listener and now financially. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you want a shout out and more of an American workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes, and live streams, check out our Patreon page and pick the support level that you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod. And that's all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 75 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 76 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season seven, The Search and PDA. Bye. Bye. Hey, Chad and Katie, it's Carter. Uh, AKA the Nard Tuna. Uh, I was just calling to say hi and thank you guys for the podcast. Also, um, I live in Youngstown, Ohio, which is the town that they mention in the episode Cafe Disco in uh, season five, episode 27. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, it's not as cool as they make it look on the office, but it's pretty cool that we were there. Uh, but thank you again for the podcast and I hope to be on the podcast. Thank you. It's a very strong co- I so oh my gosh. <laughs> I haven't actually done this out loud yet. Oh, I can't do it. It's a v- I can't either. It's I can't even hear the accent anymore.